<clears throat> Abba Father, thank you for being so kind in what you've accomplished today in my life and the people you've allowed me to care for. Uh, thank you that you're here with us. We're two or three are gathered. You're there, so we have the promise that you're here. And and I ask that that you'd help us honor you tonight since you're here. We want to honor you, your heart, your character, and, and absolutely your word. Uh, please teach us, and Father, we ask in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to dig into Isaiah 6, 26, which is truly amazing. And uh, what I'd like to do is read through it, and then we'll focus on some really important things here. So Isaiah 26, 1, on that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. The one that remains faithful. The steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. For he who has brought low those who dwell on high the unassailable city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He casts it to the dust. The foot will trample it, the feet of the poor and the steps of the helpless. The way of the righteous is smooth. O upright one, make the path of the righteous level. Indeed, while following the way of your judgments, Lord, we have waited for you eagerly. Your name and remembering you is the desire of our souls. At night, my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. For when the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. And though the wicked person is shown compassion, he does not learn righteousness. He deals unjustly in the land of the uprightness of uprightness and does not perceive the majesty of the Lord. Lord, your hand is lifted up, yet they do not see it. They see your zeal for the people and are put to shame. Indeed, fire will devour your enemies. Lord, you will establish peace for us, since you have also performed for us all our works. Lord, our God, other masters besides you have ruled us But through you alone, we confess your name. The dead will not live. The departed spirits will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them. And you have eliminated all remembrance of them. You have increased the nation, Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have extended all the borders of the land. Lord, they sought you in distress They could only whisper a prayer. Your discipline was upon them. As the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she rises and cries out in her labor pains. This is how we were before the Lord, before you, Lord. We were pregnant. We writhed in labor. We gave birth, as it seems, only to wind. We could not accomplish deliverance for the earth, nor were inhabitants of the world born. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. 
for your dew as the dew of the, of the, of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Come, my people, enter your rooms, and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their wrongdoing, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. Fascinating. All right. Let's dig in. Bruce, good to see you. Let's dig in here. So uh, it's good to remember that much of all, much of, of Isaiah proper is a song. These are lyrics to songs. We kind of forget this is something to, to actually help people sing and worship. So there's a song in Judah. We have a strong city, and he sets up walls and ramparts for security. So we've got a city that's flourishing, and they're concerned about border security, all that stuff. And then verse 3, the steadfast of mind you keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. Let's develop this. So I want you to look here. You're looking at the Hebrew text. And what, what's important to note here is the, if you read Hebrew, you're reading from right to left. Okay? It's the opposite of what we read in English. So the last word, verse 26, 3, that's actually the last word in that verse, and it is bata. Okay? And then the, the next verse, verse 26, 4, begins with bata. Okay? And it means trust. All right? So this is a device that the, that the writer uses to try to make a point. He's trying to say trust is the critical dimension, the critical thing that we who claim to follow Yahweh, we're followers of God, have got to learn to do. We've got to learn to trust. The idea here is, by the term in Hebrew, the idea is that we're not going to be self-reliant. That's really the root idea of trust here in Hebrew, batach. We're going to be God-reliant and not self-reliant. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean we're not responsible Okay, for example, this is interesting. If God is blessing this city and this, this thing is a God thing and there's revival and the city's flourishing, then why would you build ramparts and walls for security? It seems like a contradiction, right? It's actually not. God wants us to be responsible. In other words, I think it's foolish to test the Lord and say, we're just going to dedicate our house to the Lord. We're going to bless our house to the Lord. And we're not going to lock our doors at night because we just trust in God. I say, no, you're testing the Lord. You're putting him to the test. And that's silly. That's foolish. Don't beg for trouble. Uh, lock your doors. And even the city that's being hailed as experiencing revival from Yahweh is building walls and ramparts for security. Okay? Trust simply means no longer self-reliant. We're going to be God-reliant people. Okay? It's, it's a beautiful thing. God accomplishes our own works. That's verse 12. Lord, you will establish peace for us since you have also performed for us all our works. God's getting credit for the fact that the people are following his, following his ways. Okay? It's beautiful. So, um, trust is critical by time. Now, when you drop down to 8 and 9, you see another, uh, anadiplosis is the word, by the way. It means the intentionally repeating of something. 
uh, it does it again in, in 26.8 and 26.9. Only it's the word nefesh in Hebrew and it means soul. All right, so he ends with soul. In the next verse, he begins with soul. So if you're hearing that, you're going to hear soul, soul. Trust, trust. And that's the whole point, right? Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, verse 3, develop the idea of a steadfast mind. Um, if, you've, if you've kind of fancied a little bit of neuropsychology and neuroanatomy in our brains, it's really interesting to understand that our brains are, are a super intelligent system that's designed to receive data. It receives stimulus from five senses, and then it records it. So it's all on file. Okay, all right. And then when you have new stimulus coming in, what does the brain do? What does it do? Something new is happening. It what? Goes through the files and what does it do with it? See if it's a thread for one. Yeah. Or something that's good. Yeah, it literally scans past experiences and then submits a report for advisement. Uh, the last time you tried to pet a pit bull, you were nipped at. I strongly advise that you step away from the dog that looks like a pit bull. That's what your brain does. That's its job, right? So guess what? All of our memories, good ones, bad ones, don't go away. That's how God made our brains. Data is retained. It doesn't vaporize. There's no hole at the bottom of the brain where stuff just kind of falls out and the marbles fall off and, and roll away. No, it all stays there. What's that? <laughs> the one time it doesn't do that is when there's blunt force trauma to the brain. There's disease, there's lesions, there's dementia, there's Alzheimer's or prosopagnosia, a bunch of other stuff, and, and the brain is profoundly harmed. At that point, we don't have access to memories and things like that. But assuming it's a normal, healthy brain, your brain is designed to restore, to record all the stimulus it's receiving through all of your experiences. And as new stimulus comes in, it compares and advises. Hey, Jamoka Amon French ice cream. I've had that in the past. It's really, really good. I think I want some. Let's, let's go for that. Or no, horseradish, really bad. Don't do horseradish. Uh, that's what your brain does. So, so a principle forms, you ready? The brain tends to believe what the brain receives. I know that might sound corny, but prove me wrong. <laughs> prove me wrong. If, if you have a child and you say to that child, Billy, you're an accident. We never wanted you, buddy. And you have ruined our lives. We just want you to know that. And we expect you to be really grateful when we set a bowl of oatmeal down for you. Okay, Billy, we didn't want you from the get-go, and we're not happy with you now. And if that kid is raised with that kind of data input, what the brain receives, what, can you come up with an alternative? No. There's five sensory inputs. That's what you get. And he's going to hear it, see it, smell it, taste it, touch it. And mom says, you're a brat. We didn't want you. What do you think that kid's going to believe about himself? Proverbs 23, C. absolutely. And so remember the way parenting goes. Children derive their first sense of self from the face of their parents. The visual acuity of a newborn is how far? 
visual acuity, meaning the distance by which they can see and discern things. It's about that far. And guess about what that distance is. Mom's face feeding the baby. It's about right there. Hmm. God designed that so that little baby can look up into mom's eyes as though it's a mirror. Her face is a mirror. And that little baby can go, hmm, I like what I see. I see mom's face. And mom's smiling at me. And mom rubs my little head. And hey, the child's getting its first sense of self through that experience. Make sense? There's not an alternative to that. That is it. All right, so the steadfast of mind. What's got to enter the brain? Ready? Here's your pop quiz. What's got to enter the brain through sensory input systems in order for the brain to have the advisement? You really need to settle this trust issue and you need to lock it down. You need to be steadfast. Lock this down. Trust and keep trusting. Bata. Concentrate on, lean in, focus, trust. What's got to happen for that to click over so that you can be somebody concentrating, steadfast of mind, on Yahweh? What's got to happen? Okay, what do you mean, Amy? That's good. Uh, it's a, an interesting thing about our brains. We like logic. It's, a fast, it's almost a kind of morality. You think about it. The brain actually likes one plus one is two. It's really, it's really neat. And, it, and, there, and, and you think that's an amoral idea. It's really not. The brain knows when something's wrong. It's called neuroplasticity. It's called intelligence. We know it. And so, Amy, you're right. When something's one plus one is three, something's wrong. When I go to Jimmy's house, his mommy acts like he's really special. Why, why do I do what I do? Yes. So when you, did you ask how do we, how do we believe to trust? Yeah, what has to happen to us well, in so order to say, you know what, I'm going to set my mind on God. Um, that's the question. I mean, just somebody, for me, I mean, repetition works yeah. for me. So, yeah. like, if I was shown or told again and again, yeah. I think that would yeah. start you to replace it. What's that? You have to replace it. Got it. It's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, got to replace it. Yeah. And that's, what she, that's what she's saying. Right. Words, but, Trade off yeah. the negatives for there's no vacuum, Bruce. There's none. Yes, that's very good. There is, yeah, all this stuff doesn't happen in a suspended form of reality or something. Uh, Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. So if you're not exposed to the words of Jesus, it's going to be hard, right? You're going to be challenged. Um, so a steadfast mind typically has gone through several processes by which it assesses what is the best course of action. 
that's, that's high levels of intelligence to do that. And once you've established that, the brain says, you know what? I have set my mind on God. It renders peace. Something happens in me that causes me to feel. By the way, that is shalom. No surprise. That's shalom. And remember the, the Hebrew word shalom. What is the main idea behind shalom? What's that? No, no. It's a Hebrew concept. You know, I hadn't talked too much on it. Wholeness. No parts are missing. It's all there. And once you have that integrated sense of it's all there in place. Now, now peace. Needs are met. There's no neglect. All, it, there's a wholeness. And you get to have shalom. Uh, and because of that, the brain says, trust Best thing to do. I'm advising you to trust. Now, does the Holy Spirit, is that the sixth sense? I say yes. It is. But it's the only other sense, you know, that we have through the Holy Spirit. Uh, So trust, trust. Verse 4, trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Oh, does that sound like some experience happened? Something happened and God proved himself as being rock-like? Interesting. Something happened. Okay. And let's jump over to, I want you to see this. Let's look at um, verse 8. Indeed, while following the way of your judgments, Lord, we have waited for you eagerly. Your name and remembering you is the desire of our souls. That is really dense. Let's unpack it. So, um, while following you, in the way of your judgments, we've waited for you. Can I, a real quick comment. If you want to get to know God, obey God. While following you, we're getting things about you. Uh, Many people want to have all the answers about God and have no regard for him. They want, obedience comes last, you know. I want to figure them all out, get all the answers, and then I'll consider obeying God. But the Lord wants us to do the opposite. You begin to follow first, and then you learn. Oh, it sounds like kind of what a child would do with mom and dad, huh? right? So while uh, following your judgments, mishpat in Hebrew, judgments. Interesting word, mishpat. Uh, it can be really a scary word. <coughs> The wrath of God is coming in fierce judgment. Mishpat. Yeah, it can be that. Or it can be, Dad's home, and he's going to fix it. He knows how to fix that. He'll, he'll get the thing fixed. Dad's home. It can mean ordinance. It can mean a guide, a path to go. So it, it doesn't have to be the scary word, wrath of God. You know, we're all going to die. So God, while following the way of your guidance... And the way you care for us, how you judge over your children, how you make good decisions like legal rulings. We've been kavah. Now, we looked at um, that about waiting on the Lord, kavah, waiting, so important. This is the God whom we've waited for. Can you imagine? Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Bruce that during the westward expansion, expansion in U.S. history in the 1800s. Mail order brides, remember that? Real deal. You ordered a woman out of Philadelphia or out of you know, New York. Can you imagine? This is the woman you've waited for. It took months to get out there. 
and she steps off the train, several stepped off the train, and you've got to find out which one's yours. And you're like, oh, you're the one I've waited for. Let's go see the parson, get in the wagon. We've got, to, we've, we've got land to clear and a house to build. And, oh, can you imagine? This is the one I've waited for, the idea of, oh, you're God, you're, this is what you look like? You've got brown eyes? Cool. You know, this is what God looks like. You know, you find out. So we're waiting eagerly for your name, remembering Zakir. This is the desire of our souls. Okay. What is unique about remembering? And I want you to take that word and integrate it with neuroanatomy, principles of brain function. Okay. Your name, Yahweh, lots of names. And remembering you is the desire of our souls. Remembering. What does that say about neuroanatomy? What does that say? What? There's got to be something in your ear, between your ears. There's got to be something in your brain for you to remember it. Right? Yes. In other words, God's acted in the past. You want to do a pop quiz? Can anybody here give personal testimony that God is bad and he's not worth trusting and he's not worth following because he really, really did you wrong? He's evil. He's bad. Can you, can you go back in history and point to that? Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, there are times when Horrific and traumatic things are happening and little boys and little girls cry out to, the, to God and they say, God, please make daddy go away or please make mommy go away and it doesn't happen. And the child questions the goodness of God. I get it. I understand. But it's not God that's doing the hitting. Okay. So God does God things. God does God things in the past. And Isaiah is saying, remember that. He's saying the person who has the mind settled on God is the person who can remember the goodness of God. Right? Absolutely. Evidence. Yeah. Yeah, you're about to see something that's going to really, I think, make this thing salient for you. Remembering. And in fact, remembering is the desire or the longing of our souls. Uh, longing, it's interesting in Hebrew, uh, can be, it can be translated as greed, can be used negatively. These greedy people did so and so and so. It's the same word, ava, similar to kava, which is waiting. Longing. Can I say something on a, on a personal note? No one has to answer. Uh, if we could be truthful, We all know what we really want. Can we, be, can we be honest with that? You know, no testimonies, please. In the privacy of what goes on in, our, in the secret places in our hearts and our souls, we know we're not foolish. We know what we secretly want. We know. Yeah. Your name is the desire of our souls. At night... My soul is greedy for you, longs, desires, wants you. Indeed, 
My spirit within me seeks you. That is the steadfast mind. And then, this is interesting. Watch what's going to happen. For when the earth experiences your mishpat, your judgment, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Check this out. This is verses 9 and 10. Let's jump right over to, to here. Look what happens. My, I long for you. My spirit seeks you. When the earth experiences the God things that you do, you do God things. God acts like God. And when he does, those are mishpat, their judgment. It includes, he rules, he renders an opinion. It can be negative, chastises, spanks. His kids, all that. It can be that thing. Mishpat's a big word. When that happens, people learn righteousness. They learn there's right and they learn there's wrong. Now look at this, verse 10. Though the wicked person has shown compassion, when that happens, what does he learn? Nothing. Nothing. So you get this idea that when God does God things and gets involved in your life, you learn when there's no God things happening in your life. Even if God shows great mercy and great compassion, there's no learning. We need dad in the house, okay? We need the judgments of our father in heaven because it's how we learn. And if there's no judgment, if there's no mishpat from God, that's bad. That means God's not at home. You're under, you're indicted in something, and he's, he's literally withdrawing his presence. Okay, this is the Israeli, this is how the Israelis think, okay? Um, I love the language of repentance. It's really beautiful. 26.16, um, Lord, they sought you. This is the remnant. This is the people that are steadfast in mind. They sought you in distress, they could only whisper a prayer because your discipline was upon them. Uh, if I might make a few comments about prayer, uh, I, don't, I don't mean to tease Baptist deacons too much, but here's a little poke at the Baptist deacons. You know, when I, uh, when I was at Calvary Baptist Church in Batesville and a deacon prayed, this is typically what they said. Uh, our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, forgive us our sins. And this is like the prayer before the potluck. Uh, bless this food to our body and our body to your service. Bless the sick and afflicted around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. And they, they all kind of said the same thing, you know. Uh, and there's nothing, nothing really wrong with that. But, it, but, you know, there's a little bit of like, is there something else to say? I remember when I first got involved in the Protestant church, I thought, it, there's got to be something else to say besides bless this food to our bodies and our bodies to your kingdom service and the sick and afflicted. And I wasn't sure who the, those people were, but it sounds awful to be sick and afflicted. And uh, I thought, hmm, what's going on? Uh, and, and then you can go to other churches and the voice, dear God, and, and they go on. It's like Shakespeare prayer. And I thought, King James what's that? King James, yeah, they pray in King James. Thought, Man. Thou who dwellest in the heavens, be thou upon us. You know, and I'm like, what is going on? You know? I have a book on our family history, and there's a prayer 
yeah. the trice prayer. Yeah. And it's yeah. very much like what you just yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah. And my grandfather used to pray it over every meal. And I yeah. thought, what else you got? It's got to be something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially if this in, this relationship is supposed to be deep and intimate and a beautiful he, thing. He did have something else. Sure, sure, sure. He yeah. 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 So yeah. I'm, set, I'm setting you up for the big, here's the big wind up. I'm setting you up for the haymaker here. I want you to know uh, Isaiah 51, 17. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Yeah. And you know what? I learned something maybe about myself and others. When you're broken and contrite, your prayers are very different. You know what I mean? You're with me? You're smiling, Felicia. There's something about brokenness at your core when you're contrite. You talk differently. There's no fancy language. There's no Shakespeare. There's no well-organized anything. It's raw. It's from the gut. It's, it, there's something so, so real about it. And I think that's what he's saying here in verse 16. It lacks pride. It lacks pride. It doesn't showcase answers and well-orbed theology, you know. Lord, you are sovereign and the great ruler of all, the creator. No, none of that stuff. Look at 16 again. Lord, they sought you in distress and they could only whisper a prayer. Oh, man. Or how about on the cusp of despair? It's like, we got nothing. Those of you who are parents... You remember when you were little kids, <laughs> a terrible meltdown of a toddler, and all they know to do is look up at you and just, and just <laughs> you know, it's like little vocalizations. Please pick me up. I think this is getting at it. When all you got left, you're so worn out, whether it's from your moral failure or the moral failures of others and the price that that exacts out of you, or just the horrors of life, whatever it is, even when you're experiencing mishpat, the judgment of God, and you're at a place where you're broken, you got nothing, and all you can do is whisper, God, would you please help me? And that's all you got. I think he hears that prayer. I think he really hears it. And then there's really touching language. And Isaiah actually does a lot about uh, women and how a, a female, an at-risk, abused, at-risk, or an ideal mother, an ideal woman is kind of depicted throughout Isaiah. It's really fascinating. Uh, and Jerusalem is always depicted as a, as a mother, by the way. Um, so he uses this woman, this imagery of a pregnant woman, to mock the opposite of the steadfast mind. Yeah, you, you, you're pregnant, it's time to give birth, you writhe, you cry out in these horrible labor pains, and this is how we were before the Lord, but when we gave birth, nothing happened. Nothing. It's like we gave birth to wind. We could not accomplish deliverance for ourselves, is what he's saying. He's saying, we're not self-sufficient. 
we are God-dependent and not self-dependent people. Because if we're self-dependent, we can't even produce a baby. We can't bring life. It's that, it's the broken person. Can I show you the, the hope of resurrection? Verse 19, your dead will live, the corpses will rise. Hope of resurrection, is it not beautiful? All right, 20 and 21. You're, here's your pop quiz, you ready? Remember this idea of remembering and God doing God things and how you get a, gotta pay attention to the past, the God things? 20 and 21. What's the God thing in 20 and 21 that we're supposed to? What's that? Absolutely. What was Israel told to do? You get in your homes and you shut the door. After you put the blood on the post and lintel, you do what I tell you until the judgment passes. Isn't that amazing? Now, if you're an Israeli, do you realize that defines you? Absolutely defines who you are. The judgment passed over you. The judgment fell on the unbelieving, the abusing, the slave traders, fell on Egypt who refused to believe. But it passed over those who applied blood to the post and lentils of their home. Makes sense? Remember. Yeah. So if I were going to give you homework, I would ask you to get your notebooks out in the privacy of your home and a good cup of coffee or tea or something and make a list of the God things in your life. Make a list. Go backwards. Go backwards. Yeah. Remember when you were first saved. Remember you uttered your first prayer. Remember that? You know? And you, and, and, and you were reaching for faith as a little girl, little boy, maybe, or a teenager, and you, you weren't sure what this gospel thing is, but you're supposed to be saved, and somehow he lives in you, and Jesus in your heart, and, and you, you pray that, maybe you whispered that. And then you look for a validating feeling that it was real, and you kind of didn't have it, so you asked again, you know, and again, and again, and you're... You know, trust, trust, soul, soul. You're trying to figure this thing out. Go back. Remember the God moments. Because if you do, it helps you have a steadfast mind. And remember what you feed your brain. Your brain has to do something with it. Right? If I may, with utmost politeness, state the obvious. If I feed my brain with Instagram, you know what happens to my brain? I must not be happy. I don't have those things. My kitchen will never look like that. An open fire to do pizza? In the kitchen, oh, you know, oh, in, in another kitchen, like, oh, Lisa, look where we can hang our cast iron. And, and then you realize, I'll never have a kitchen like that, you know? And you start comparing your kitchen against other kitchens. And all of a sudden, 
in a matter of a few 30-second reels, our brain says, hmm, you're not really happy, are you? Bad word. You're not happy because what you want to happen didn't happen, and it's not happening, so therefore you're not happy. Hmm, you know? Sounds silly, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound silly? (laughs) Aren't smart people. We'd never do that. And yet you'd be surprised, huh? We can fly an hour, two hours through Instagram, Facebook, and all these TikTok, and we can't go five minutes in the Word of God. All right, Bruce. So I'm clear, because I want to do what you suggested. Yeah. Would you give an example of a God moment in your life? What you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. There's actually several. Um, It's 1997. I'm in Jonesboro at Central. And my heart is... uh, I think the soil of my heart, the good soil is ready, you know, somehow, you know, sometimes plowed ground can be ready to receive a seed. And I had a God encounter, and I, and it's going to sound psychotic, I heard the voice of God, and you're hearing voices, son, yeah. I heard the voice of God, and he said, Chris, you're going to start Christ Church, it will be a church for all the nations. I don't know what that means. I got the first part. And that incubated in me for about 10 years. And in 2007, in our living room, Uh, Lisa and I started this little prayer, this hope, this dream of a church that could maybe do it differently. And uh, I knew I would be the best part of that church and I knew I would be the worst part of that church because where I go, my humanity goes. I knew that. Still people. That it incubated in you for a decade. Ten years. Yep, yep, yep. And I also threw myself like crazy into scholarship. I thought, man, I better take scripture seriously. And I went way, way, way deeper and farther and longer than any seminary had ever given me previously. And um, radically changed my life those 10 years. And then it started. So that was a major God moment for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you're like me, we can forget things, can't we? We've got to dust them off sometimes. Yeah. So if you define your past, it helps inform your present. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Anything? Anybody? Um, is that an original? Uh, yes. Yes, it is. There are occasionally. Uh, I get the copyright, and that's one of them. Defining your past informs your present. Um, any Anybody else on Isaiah twenty six? What is significant about this? How it speaks to your heart. I want to hear about yours. Tell us about yours. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. You can't make a baby and deliver it on your own. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful, Felicia. Yeah. Boy, and, and that's a God moment. That's, that's a God thing that only God does. And you remember that. Yeah, that's good. That's going to help you have a steadfast mind. Right? That's so good. Someone else? How does Isaiah 26 speak to you? I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me remember in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. How's that for defining your past to inform your present? Wow. Remember. Yeah. Uh, There are some... Some scholars have developed a lot of material on the word kurios, which means Lord, because in uh, Greco-Roman culture, the term kurios, kai, soter, Lord and Savior, were actually titles used for the Caesar. We, We don't necessarily kind of get that. But think about uh, president and commander-in-chief. Well, you're talking about America at that point. President, commander-in-chief. What if we took those two concepts, the president and commander-in-chief, and gave them to somebody who's not a governing official and certainly not at the head, you know, the the, the pinnacle of governing positions, and we called him commander-in-chief and president, would you make a mockery of that? Would you say he's self-proclaimed something, would you? No, that's how the Romans perceived Jesus, an imposter, because he was using titles that were actually used to describe the Caesar. And if he himself wasn't doing it, although he did, his followers did. (laughs) They would do that. 
And, and so some have conjectured, Sabrina, I know you're doing some really technical reading in this, that the Lord's Supper is not just a, a meal where you get something to eat, and it's not just a religious meal where we're going to worship somebody or pay respects to someone who's died, which is very common, funeral meals, uh, done typically on their birthday or their death day. Um, but this is a political meal. And even a little, a little pop on the nose of Rome. For I receive from the Lord, <laughs> mm. for I receive from the Caesar that which I also delivered to you, that the Caesar Jesus, on the night in which he is betrayed, is like, oh, that's a little political. Uh, yes, in fact, it was. Yes. These little meals in honor of someone they call Lord. These little homes secretly at night. Hmm, what's going on? So they were politically suspect. So, so remember why, you ready? Here's your last pop quiz and I'll shut up. Why did the earlier, earliest followers of Jesus think it appropriate to label him Lord and Savior? He's the original. Good. I like that. That's good. What else? Yeah, there's the yeah, short answer. It is what it is. He was. He was and he is. Yeah, Sabrina? A lot of Jewish people thought he was going to overturn the temple. Absolutely. Yeah, expelled the demon that had, you know, Israel was demon possessed. It's called Rome inside her borders, and so he was going to come and expel the, the demonic presence of Rome. A political leader, David, Moses, a deliverer. Yeah. So any other reasons why they would think it appropriate to call him Kurios Kai Soter, Lord and Savior? Commanding, yeah, yeah, compelling. Yeah. 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 Okay, how about this? You're one of the 12 guys, and you're exhausted. You just fed 5,000 men, no telling what the total crowd was. Some say up to 20,000 people were fed. Women and kids. All right. This Jesus knows you're exhausted. So he says, hey, let's get in the boat. Come on. Shh. I know. Get in the boat. I'll be there. Go on. And Jesus gets in the boat and uh, he's so exhausted he falls asleep. Storm hits. They panic. They wake him up and they say, don't you care that we're perishing? We're, we're at the precipice right on the edge of dying and you're taking a nap? Don't you care? And he wakes up and he, he stands up and he says to the waves, the, the, the sea and the sky, peace be still. And what happens? Flat calm. 
have seen it in action. They saw it. And they, and they ask a question. What's the question? <laughs> Felicia, what? what? Don't you care? Nope, nope. This is the, after it's a flat calm, they ask a question. Who is this that controls the winds and the waves? Who is this? And eventually they knew the answer to the question. Lord, the true authority and savior, the one who rescues. Yeah. Yeah. This is the one that we're waiting for. Isaiah 25. This is the one. I want to pray and then I want to ask you to remember. Abba Father, you are kind beyond anything that I could ever imagine. You want to get right at the heart of who we are and guide us in your judgments and show us the way that we should live and go. You are a good, good Father. We're going to take the cup and we're going to take the bread and we're going to remember. And that's going to help us to have a steadfast mind fixed and locked down on you just like you told us in John that if we abide in you, your words abide in us, that you will answer our prayers. We will know your love and we will know peace. Please help us to be steadfast in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.